for the reading of God's word. Our text today is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. It says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, uh, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death uh, their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who, are, you who are far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God, God lives by his spirit. This is the word of God. You may be seated. For some weeks now, we've been in um, a series called Basically Jesus. Um, and what we've aimed to do in this series, if you're new, is uh, describe what, what is Christianity basically about? What do we believe as Christians? Um, so basically answering the question, what is Christianity? Now, if you've missed uh, some of this, you can go to our sermon section online. It's Refuge Church NE, like New England, refugechurchne.com. And you can go to the sermon section, and you can find all the sermons that we've done up until this point in this series. Um, also, you'll see a resources tab um, in that section where you can get other books and resources to help you learn more. There's only so much that we can say on each topic in a period of about 40 minutes on Sunday morning. So there's obviously a lot that I'm not talking about on each topic. So if you want to learn more, you can go online into our resources section. And I've suggested various books and resources that you can purchase um, to, to help you grow in your understanding of these. Also, um, like I said, we value God's word. So um, in, in knowing who God is. So uh, something else that we offer, and it's going to be kicking off um, shortly after um, this series is over, is we have like a, a sort of a fundamentals class. What is the basics, the fundamentals of Christiani Christianity that's led by one of our pastors, Joe Marin. Um, so that's an exciting thing that you can be involved in too. If this is sort of whetting your appetite, you can put flesh on the bones, so to speak. At his small group, I believe it meets on Sunday night. But so far, we've gone over things like who is God, what is God, what's the Bible, who is Jesus. We've talked about humanity, salvation, what does that word mean, and what's the implications of it, all of these things we've talked about. This morning, though, we're going to talk about the church. What is the church? Why do we gather together like this on Sunday mornings and other times? Um, why do we do what we do? It's a good question, right? Can't we just live stream this and just kind of hear God's word? Why do we got to get involved in the busyness of each other's lives? Isn't that the problem with the church? Like if we just avoided each other, wouldn't church be so much better? Just We just heard God's word and don't have to deal with people. Um, 
So what do we do with this? When I, when I came to faith in Jesus Christ, by the way, as a, as a young man, it, it was almost instinctual in me when I came to faith in Jesus. You didn't have to tell me to start hanging out with God's people. I just knew it. And I think that the reason for that, we talked about this last week, is that the Holy Spirit, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, he teaches us. And there are some things that I think we just sort of instinctually know when we come to faith in Jesus. When I, when I was saved, so to speak, as we call it, I could not, you could not keep me away from God's people. I wanted to be around them almost every day, and I almost was. <laughs> um, so why, though? What is the church? Why do we do what we do? If I could keep it simple, friends, if we read the Bible, we have to come away with the conclusion that the Lord is the only hope for mankind and for your life and mine. He is the only adequate refuge for your life. It's not marriage, it's not money, it's not children, it's not family. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can save us and make sense of our lives, put us back in right relationship with God, put us on our feet again. You see, only the Lord can do that. Well, friends, according to Scripture, the church is the body of Christ. The hands and feet of Jesus are demonstrated right here and now when God's people gather together and commit to each other to live out their faith together. So friends, the only, could I say by caveat, the only hope for man, if the only hope for mankind is Jesus, the only hope for mankind is his people as we represent his body on earth. You see? The church, according to scripture, is the salt of the, the world, the light of the world. We do this, so we do this church thing because marriages are falling apart. We do this church thing because someone's son is addicted to drugs. We do this church thing because maybe a mom just lost a son or a daughter. You see, friends, the only hope of humanity is Jesus Christ. And when God's people gather, we represent his body, of the body of Christ to people on this earth. He's the only hope. So friend, don't you realize, if you know Jesus Christ this morning, do you realize how important not only you are, but what we're doing here is? It's so important. So the church isn't just some clever idea that someone had in the Bronze Era, right? It's not just a place where we get some, like, our religious batteries charged, <laughs> right? Like, the church is the body of Christ. It's a living organism. It's powerful. And if it's the body of Christ, it's the hope of the world. It's your hope and mine. Some years back, you remember uh, Mitt Romney, who just was pretty good at not winning for president. But um, some years back, poor guy, Mitt, Mitt Romney was running against President Obama. And his tagline, you know, like Trump's tagline is make America great again. You remember what his, his was? That America was the hope of the world. He kept saying that. America is the hope of the world. Um, as audacious and probably incorrect as that is, where he gets that from is from Scripture. What I disagree with him on, while I, I like, I guess it kind of does something to my patriotic heart, I like the sound of that, but what he's mistaking is that it's not America that's the hope of the world, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ held by his people, proclaimed by his people, that's the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. And therefore, his church, what we do here, the mission of Christ in his body, that's you and I, is the hope of the world. And you know what Jesus said? 
to his people. He said, you are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hidden. How many politicians have you heard say that America is a city on a hill? Have you ever heard this language from a politician? I mean, it is timeless. Every president seems to quote that verse in the Bible. And you know why they do this? Is because the first governor of Massachusetts who came here almost right after the pilgrims got here preached a sermon on a ship that was that centered around this verse. You are the light of the world, a city set on the hill. Because the pilgrims came to the United States with the idea that the gospel through pre, preached through God's people, that's the city on the hill. That's the transforming power and life and hope of humanity. It's not America. It's not the United States. It's Jesus Christ. You see how powerful this is. The city on the hill is not an earthly kingdom. It's not the United States. It's not New York City. It's God's kingdom. Here and now realized when his people gather, when we gather, we're the city on the hill. We're the light, the salt. As we, as we take the gospel, live it out and preserve it and preach it through our lives. Friends, we must strive to be all that Christ has called us to be as his people if we're really to provide that light and that salt to other people around us, to your neighbors and friends, and into the town of Warren. It's just as simple as that. Now, I appreciate being well-organized and having good systems. I appreciate having programs, and I think that we should do these things. I think that the Bible, call, the scriptures call us to some of these things too. I, I don't want to trust on those things though. I don't want to trust on our savvy organizational skills or our ability to kind of be hospitable and welcome new people. You guys all got nice little pamphlets when you walked in. Isn't that great? Right? I don't want to trust in that to grow our church, to think that if we just make a little misstep, then you know, some, that you're not going to come back because we didn't say hi at the right time. Right? We asked you to come to our lunch too many times. And now that's, that's all. I want the gospel. The, 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 what is the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus Christ that we're lost and that he can save us by the power of his death and resurrection. I want that to attract you, to turn you on to all that you can be in Christ, all that God's made you to be. You see, friends, to be a Christian and to gather as his people, to hear and obey his word is what supercharges our growth in Christ, it was, it's what makes us a, a bright, shining light. So friends, Christianity is basically the church. It's basically God's people. Now I know I say the, the word church, and you all might be thinking of something in particular. We're going to get to that in a moment. But let's go now and talk about what we mean, what scripture means when it talks about the church. This morning I want to look at what the Bible has to say about the church. But we need to begin with a very... Um, sim a much simpler question, an easier question, because it, it will set the stage for what we believe the church is. So the first question, number one, is what is a Christian? Good question. What is a Christian? And that question has very varied answers depending on who you ask. Maybe to some, it's just a person that goes and hears a Christian sermon, right? They go to a Christian church. So they, the church you go to is what makes you a Christian, in other words. Right? Um, the place you meet. When I say church, I mean the place you meet, like what you're doing right now. If you come here on a regular basis, you're a Christian. Okay? So that's, that's what it means to some people. For others, maybe it's just I had some kind of awakening, some religious experience when I was like 9 or 20, and that's what makes me a Christian. 
But according to Scripture, the answer to this question is very simple. What is a Christian? According to Scripture, the first thing a Christian is is this. A Christian is someone first and foremost that has been reconciled to God through faith in Christ. In other words, you are a Christian because you have put your faith in Jesus to reconcile you to God in heaven. Your relationship with, with him was broken because of your sin, which you've, you've, you've confessed of and repented, and you're not paying for your sin now. You're trusting that Jesus did it for you. So through that faith, you are reconciled to God through Christ. If you are reconciled to God through Christ, you are a Christian. It doesn't matter what church you go to is incidental. What sort of religious experience you had maybe 10 years ago is incidental. Because we can all have religious experiences, but not be... Buddhists have religious experiences, and Muslims have religious experiences. That doesn't make them Christians. Faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and therefore, your forgiveness of sin, your reconciliation with God, that's what makes you a Christian. Period. Only. Only that. It's not how much money you just put in our offering plate. It's not that the fact that you're here or you attend some other church. It's not that you help old people across the street or when they fall down. Okay? It's that your sins are forgiven not because of your works, but because of Christ. You rest on him. Does that make sense? Our text in Ephesians 2 says, But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. So according to Scripture, and this is a hard and sobering reality, there are two classes of people in the Bible. Those who are far off from God and those who are near to God. Those who are far off and those who are near. The ones who are near have been reconciled to God through their faith in Jesus Christ. A person is brought near to God when an individual repents of their sin and believes that Jesus' death was done in their place for them. The Christian is a person that knows that if you died and stood before God and you were asked this question, why should you let me near you? Your answer would be very simply this. You shouldn't because I'm a sinner. But you should because Jesus paid for it. That would be your answer. Period. The Christian is a person who knows this in their heart. That in Romans chapter 5, God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that's the first thing a Christian is. A Christian is someone first and foremost that has been reconciled to God through faith in Christ. But number two, a Christian also, because of his reconciliation to God, is also reconciled to everyone else who has been reconciled to God. Does that make sense? So if you've been reconciled to God through faith, it means that you are also reconciled to all of God's people everywhere. You have peace with them too. Isn't that good news? Our text again in Ephesians 2, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, the whole, all of God's people is being joined together, 
grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now you say, that's a whole lot of religious language. I don't know that I really understand. This is what it's saying. The ch- God's people is like a building. And once you put faith in God, in Christ, he puts you into that building. In other words, you're one with them. It's not just you, it's all of you. You're reconciled to God and you're also reconciled to his people. He gives you peace with his people. So number two, a Christian, because he has been reconciled to God, has also been reconciled to God's people. Hostility in the human race began right after the fall. Did you know that? How many people know that this is a contentious world that we live in? Have you ever been in a fight with somebody? How about a significant somebody? A conflict? You see, since since the dawn of time, we've known this. Some of you are like, I got in a fight with my wife on the drive here. (laughs) Right? Isn't it true? We know that there's this tension, this that we sin against each other. Something's broken in this world. We're not, we should be one. We should be a loving humanity, but we're not. We fight wars. We kill each other. We drop bombs. You see, friends, when Christ reconciles you to God, he reconciles you with everyone else who has been reconciled to God. Isn't that great news? He brings peace with his kingdom, with his children, with his people. And number three, though, a Christian is not just someone who's been reconciled to God's people. A Christian is grafted in to a fellowship, a family, a body. You don't just have peace with your neighbor who knows Christ. You're actually one with them. You are one in spirit and heart. Every believer in Jesus is joined to each other as family. The Bible teaches us that we were adopted in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, into God's family when we put faith in Jesus. We are the sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And guess, that, guess, guess what that makes us with each other, brothers and sisters? Why do you, why do you think when we, t- when we refer to it, someone else who has put faith in Christ, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, because we are adopted brothers, adopted sisters, We inherit all of God's beauty and power and gifts. We share it with each other as one fellowship, as one body. The Bible teaches us this over and over again. You know that when a child in our world is adopted, they take on the name of the family that adopts them. And if they have children, the the adopted children are legal, even though the the, the biological brother, they're, they're not biological brothers and sisters, They are legal brothers and sisters. Um, We have some people in our church today, the Marins, and I'm not sure if any others of you, have actually adopted children um, throughout your lives. And you know, they are your legal um, children, according to the law. And if you talk to anyone that's adopted children, they don't feel like this is just a legal thing. Their sense is that they, they are our sons and daughters. We are their mom and dad. You see, friends, that's what happens when you put faith in Jesus Christ. The King of Kings is your good father that we sang about. Isn't that great news? You say, I had a bad father. He was a jerk and he was abusive. And he, he, was physically, he was physically, verbally, maybe even sexually abusive. Well, you know, everything that he was, was supposed to be for you, the Father in Heaven is. The only reason you know that you got a bum deal in life is because you have an idea of what a good father is. And the reason you have that idea is because there is one the good father that you've been looking for, the father that created you, that offers to be reconciled to him through Christ if you simply believe. 
You see, friends, the Christian is grafted into a fellowship, into a family. That is what salvation is. You are members, in chapter 2 of our text, you are members of the household of God. Your name is Christian, and you share it with every other person who has been reconciled to God through Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, those who are made holy are of the same family. You see, you have a family. You have a heavenly one. And we get, to, we get to enjoy each other's company every time we meet on Sunday, every time we meet on Monday, every time we meet on Tuesday, every time we meet on Wednesday. We get to see Christ. We get to see the living Christ in each other, the body of Christ. And you know, all over, all over Scripture, you know what God's people are called? They're called a family, a fellowship, a body, a bride, a temple, a priesthood. I could go on and on. The Bible doesn't refer to simply Christians on their own outside of his people or the church. So a Christian is one reconciled to God, reconciled to people, and joined to those people as family. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. But fourthly, a Christian is one who is committed to the local fellowship of God's people. If we are family, if we are a body of Christ, it just goes to serve that we will be committed to each other. We become part of a local church family because it is a part of what God has made us. The reason we gather is because if we're a body, then you're the toes and the arms and the legs. And a healthy body isn't going to ignore the other members of it, right? So we're going to gather. We're going to want to be around each other to make sure that each member is healthy, and, and helpful, right? We need each other, don't we? How many people need your legs? We need our legs, right? If you need your arms, you need your arms. You see, that's the image of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13. We're each a different part of what is the body of Christ, and you can't ignore each member or be on your own somewhere. Scripture calls us to come into a fellowship and to be locally committed to that joining as family. So in this union... We realize it locally by joining, committing to, partnering with God's people as they gather near us. Most references to the church, you know, in the, in the New Testament refer to local churches, um, to the church of Galatia, to Philippi, of the churches in Revelation. The, the, the way we live out the commands of Scripture for each other is locally. So if I could summarize Hebrews chapter 10 um, in verse 23 and verse 24, a Christian is a person that does not give up meeting together so that they might spur one another to good deeds. A Christian has been reconciled to God through Christ. They have been reconciled to each other through Christ. They have been brought together as family, a fellowship, a body, and they commit to that body in a local gathering. So there's more, I think, to being a Christian than just this, but the Christian life is a union with God and a union with with his people. So let's now talk about what the church is. We've already hinted a little bit at this. We've taught, talked about what is a Christian, but what is the church? Um, think of reasons you might have in your life been hesitant to commit to some kind of local gathering of God's people, we, what we call a church. Um, maybe it was just too much responsibility. You know, they're, they're going to maybe want, I'm going to go in and they're going to ask me to help. And I don't want to help. You know, so. Um, that, it's just too much responsibility. 
Um, or what, what about this? We mentioned this. It's just, it's just too messy. You know, people are going to start tap, stepping on my toes. I'm going to step on their toes. I don't want to get in fights. I've been there. Right? I, I went to a church once, and it just it became a mess, and I don't want to go there again. Right? Like, it was just too hurtful. It was hard. So there's this emotional sometimes deterrent. Um, maybe, maybe you think like this. Well, if I, if I join a church, it's going to slow me down. You know, I'm on the streets. I share Christ. I pray. I'm busy. And if I, if I go to a church, it's going to slow me down. Right? Like, because people in church, they're just too lazy. You know, they don't understand. Uh, you know, you've got to be fast and aggressive. And, well, you ever think about it like this? Maybe you'll speed them up. Right? Like, if that's really true and you're not just full of yourself, maybe, maybe you, you'll help us learn something we're not good at and get be- help us get better at it, right? Isn't that true? Um, maybe, um, you know, it's, it's just not cool enough. You know, that, the pastor down the road, he, he's wearing, like, you know, Stranger Things T-shirts. He's got a frohawk, you know, and it's just really hip. And this one isn't hip enough, like the one I was in California. That they had water slides in their kids' rooms, you know, so <laughs> this isn't the place for me, right? So there's so many reasons that range from maybe serious to superficial about why, or why, why we would or wouldn't um, want to participate in a local church. But friends, if the church is the body of Christ, shouldn't it be about the body, Right? Not about the programs or how much money we have in our bank or where we meet or how cool the band is. Shouldn't it be about his word lived out with each other? And can't we do that anywhere we go? Can't we do that without black lights and fog machines? Right? Like, can't we do, can't we do that with all, like, the bells and whistles that so, so, much, so many times... And listen, I'm not trying to diss that because you'll notice that we pay attention to that here, too. This building is clean. And it's because we clean it, because we don't want you to be like, ew, this is gross. Right? So we pay attention to that, too. I just don't want to idolize it. I don't want it to distract us from the reality that what we need not, is not a clean floor. We need clean souls. We need God's word. We need to, to hear it, to listen to it, to obey it, to spur each other on to good works, to have meaningful fellowship with each other. And I'm sorry, but we can do that in a sewer. We can, and you know that there are places in this world that do, because it's all they got, because if they met like us, like we do right now, they'd be killed for it. So they meet anywhere that they can. If it's a dark, dingy, dirty basement with one little flickering light, they'll meet, and sometimes they meet more than once a week at great cost, and it's about God's word lived out together, the fellowship of the body of Christ around his word, so we don't, they don't have to trick people to come because it smells good, right? Or, or the parking is convenient. You see, friends, the love of God draws them. They, they have this rule in the church world um, about chairs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to invite you into the crazy world that I'm a part of sometimes. Okay, about chairs. That w- once the chairs are 60% full, people stop coming because they're like... I don't want to sit next to someone, right? Because when it, when it gets, more, gets more than 60%, you start having to sit next to people and your shoulders touch. And we get uncomfortable. So they, they tell us that when your seats are 60% full, you've got to put more chairs out. Then your church will grow, right? So, okay, listen. 
we got to listen to some of these things. I don't want to ignore practical advice, right? Like parking matters. We don't meet at 2 o'clock in the morning because we want people to come, right? But I've been in places where God's word was so powerful, the spirit was so alive, people would be looking through the windows if they had to. They didn't care if they had to sit next to somebody. You see, friends, that's what I want. I want to pay attention. I don't want to be irresponsible or unwise. But I want power, God's power, his word, his spirit present with us. Because we can do all those tricks, and if you're not alive, it's not powerful. We can grow the crowd through worldly tricks. But if you're not hearing God's word and following it and living it out together, it just doesn't matter. We're just a group of people that's hanging out on Sunday. And we have no more life than anyone else in this world that we live in. You see, friends, if Christ is not the king of your heart, then it it just doesn't matter. All we've done is we've we've convinced people to come and put their butts in our seats. And I want more than that. I don't want your wallet. I want your heart. I don't want your service at the front door. I want your heart. I don't want you to just come back. To say, okay, we got people coming and they're giving. Okay, good, I can you know, pay my light bill this week. I don't want you to just come back. I want you to be alive, friend. And you will only be alive if you hear and obey God's word with God's people. That's the only way it happens when I read scripture. There's no other way around it. If you want life, you need to hear God and follow him. Believe him, trust him. You can't do that just by hearing a quick sermon on Sunday and then coming back... Um, a month later. You see, it's got to, Christ, I want Christ to capture your heart in everything that you do. I want you to be a Christian here on Sunday, but a Christian at work, a Christian when you meet with your friends on Friday night when you go to a movie. I want Jesus to follow you everywhere you go. You see, friends, a Christian is one who has been reconciled to God through Christ. A biblical church, is the church is a fellowship of redeemed people. That's the first thing that we can say about a church. What is a church? A church is a fellowship of redeemed people. It's not a place. We said earlier, a Christian is one who has been reconciled to God through Christ, and the church is made up of Christians reconciled to each other, but it's, it, it's, it's a fellowship. It's not a building. It's not an address. We don't go to the church. We are the church wherever we gather. You see, we could gather at Colt State Park or in Pat Marin's basement, and we'd be the church there too. You see, friends, the church is where we gather. It's, it's God's people, not where, excuse me, it's God's people. It's not where we gather. It's a gathering of redeemed sinners who have re- repented and believed in Christ. It's a people, it's a family who, happy, who happen to be at 130 Franklin Street. Does that make sense? And it's helpful to know that when you're realizing what is and what is not important in in a gathering of people. It's not the music style. It's not my personal charisma. And it's not the amount of programs that we offer. It's God's word heard and believed together. That's what it is. That's what a church is. What does it say about our love for Jesus if we elevate anything else besides this, besides Christ and his word? You see, we can be really good at a lot of things, but if we're not good at that, it doesn't matter. And, but if we're good at the word and hearing the word and obeying, obeying the word and we're bad at everything else, then it doesn't matter. You see? 
The church, number two, is a fellowship of people, not a statistic. It's not a building, and it's not a statistic. There was a pastor named John Brown in the 19th century who wrote to a younger pastor, and he wrote this. And these are, these are important words for my pastoral ears to hear very often and frequently. He says this, I know the vanity of your heart and that you will feel mortified that your congregation is very small in comparison with those of your brethren around you. But assure yourself on the word of an old man that when you come to give account of them to the Lord Christ at his judgment, you will think you have had enough. Isn't that great? Oh, it's so easy for us pastoral types to be tempted into like, feeling a sense of accomplishment because lots of people are coming and filling the seats. And we've got to knock walls down. And Isn't that wonderful? To boast in numbers rather than Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, I think this is where he gets this from. Scripture says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will give an account. That's sobering for me. That's my, he just gave me my job description. Hebrews chapter 13. That I am to keep, the pastors here, to keep watch over your souls, and I will give an account for you to my boss at this judgment seat of Christ. You see, I have a boss, and my job is to keep watch over your soul. It's not to get more of you in here. I want more people to come in here because I want people to get saved, but once they're in here, I have a job. And that job is for you, is to help you grow in Christ, to submit to Christ daily, to put sin down, and to trust Jesus in faith that he'll provide all your needs. You see, that's my job. I'm keeping watch over your souls. That's my job. You see, friends, it also says this. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Oh, my gosh. I get that. I'm sorry. Confession. I get that. Because a lot of pastoral life, you deal with a lot of problems. Ranging from tragedies to people just, you know, making choices that you know are bad for you, you. You have to tango a lot with that. And it can weigh on you. And you can develop this attitude of like, I should have, you know, been a milkman. Like it's just so, mil- milk is so much easier. You know when it's going to spoil. You know, like I never know when these guys are going to spoil. <laughs> right? You can just get grumpy in the ministry. See, but the church is not a statistic. It's not a people. So I'm not just concerned with getting more of you here. I'm concerned with getting the ones that are from point A to point B in their faith with Jesus Christ. You see, that's my job description. It's not to become famous. It's not to become much discussed or impressive, to be the benchmark, right, that how you doing this, man, you're so successful, all this stuff. Can we strive as a church to stop comparing ourselves with other ministries and simply strive to hear God's word together and live it and follow it. Oh, is, wouldn't that be wonderful? To not just put up with each other as a means to an end, but to watch over each other's souls. 
Ephesians 4 says it at length in a, in a wonderful way. It says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, that's pastors. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we attain unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To be mature to the measure of the stature of, so to be mature in Christ, to look like him in other words to be formed by him, so that we're not like children tossed to and fro by all waves and carried about all these different doctrines by human coming or cu cunning or craftiness or deceitful schemes. Rather, we speak, pastors speak the truth in love, we're to grow up, not only us speaking the truth in love, but each other, to grow up in every way into him who is the head, which is Christ. You see, what a wonderful demonstration or description of what the church is supposed to be. The church is a growing people formed more completely into Christ. We have to ask a question, is that me? Am I growing into Christ? Have I stopped believing, believing him and I'm just, I just do whatever I want because I don't believe him anymore or, or am I going to put that down and I'm, am I going to trust Jesus? You see, that's why we're here to hear God's word, to get life from his word, to trust him and to believe him. The church is not a statistic. It's a growing people, mature, informed, loving, truthful, equipped, as it said in Ephesians chapter, chapter 4. Finally, though, the church is God's instrument of trans transformation for the lost around us and compassion for the needy. Let me explain to you what I mean. It says in Ephesians chapter 3, so that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might be made known to rulers and authorities in all the heavenly places. That was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. What scripture is saying is that through God's people, through the local church, people that don't know Christ yet will see your light through the saving message of Jesus and they'll come to know him too. See, in other words, the church is God's evangelism strategy. It's the way in which when we gather, we're, we gather together for the purpose of growing in our faith so that we'll go and make disciples. You see, friends, it means that the way that we grow in our faith in Christ is when we take the gospel to people that don't know it and minister it to them, be a light to them. You see, friends, we're all evangelists, in other words. We, we all have this unique responsibility of going to the ends of the earth, which, which means our friends, our neighbors, our family, our co-workers, and letting them know that they have a Savior in Christ if they simply would believe in him. You see, friends, the church is God's instrument of transformation for the lost and compassion for the, for the needy. We are to display, when we gather as God's people we are to display the manifold wisdom of God to all creatures. We're put on display. And when we're put on display, it preaches a message to people. The, the, and that message is the saving message of Jesus Christ. So we're here as is gathered and redeemed people for a mission. Not just so that we grow, but so that the light that we experience and know goes around us to our friends and neighbors. 
And we're also here to exercise God's common love for all his people, even his enemies. To not only proclaim the good news, but to rescue the poor, the orphan, the desperate, and lonely. To be the salt of the earth. That's what the church is. Oh, friends, do you know who you are? Do you know who God has made us to be, what he's called us to? What a wonderful and amazing and sobering reality this is. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'll say this as we close. It says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So it says, when we gather... And we hear God's word when we behold his glory. That's what it means. And we all, with unveiled face, we behold the glory of the Lord. We're hearing God's word. We're being transformed into the same image of Christ. We grow, in other words, we mature. We become more like Jesus. We have more of his peace, more of his joy. We look more, more of his compassion. You see, when we behold the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Friends, we are a more clear reflection of Christ as we obey his word together. You see, that's what this is saying. When we hear God's word and follow it, that is the chief job of, the healthy, of a healthy church and a healthy Christian life. History is going to divide the church between these types of churches and these types of people, those who do God's word and those who don't. The health of our spiritual life, the health of this local community and God's global church, and therefore the, the, the depth of our impact depends on us hearing God's word together and doing it. Matthew 28, 19, teach them to obey everything that I command you. Mark chapter 4, those who bear fruit, obey God's word. Isn't that just saying it all? Those who bear fruit, obey God's word. Luke chapter 11, blessed are those who hear God's word and obey it and do it. John chapter 21, Jesus says, feed my sheep to Peter. Feed my sheep with the word of God, right? Acts chapter 2, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread. Romans chapter 10, faith, you want more faith? Well, the Bible tells you how to get it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When we hear the word of God and do it, our faith is built, it's developed, it's strengthened. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, the message of the cross, that is the word of God, is the power of God for your salvation, for your deliverance. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16, the word of Christ is to dwell in you richly. Let it dwell in you richly. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, stand firm and hold to the teachings we pass to you. Hebrews warns the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. James chapter 1, do not be merely hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 1, 23, that, that we were born again, we were made alive and made new through the living word of God. Oh, friends, the church, if the church is anything, it is a community of people that hears God's word together and does it joyfully. You see, that's what he's called us to be. A community of people reconciled to God and each other through Christ, made into one family, one fellowship, one body, and where our most healthiest, most impactful, 
when we hear God's word and obey it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we come to you this morning and we know that Christianity is about Jesus Christ. It's basically Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. And friend, if you don't know Jesus, I want to introduce him to you right now. All of your confusion, all of your brokenness, your trying to find yourself and the meaning and purpose of your life, friend, all of it is because we're separate from God because of sin. What you need is a reconciled relationship with God and he loves you. And Jesus Christ died for you so that you could have it. You don't have to work for it. You can't work for it. God is so holy that our violation, our offense against him is so grievous that we can't pay for it ourselves. But Christ can. God in the flesh sent to die for you in your place. Turn from your sin, friend, and trust in Jesus. Know his life. And you'll be reconciled to God. And if that's you, friend, I want to encourage you. Come and talk to me. I want to talk to you more about your new faith. And if maybe that's not you, but you're interested in learning more, um, come talk to me still, and I'd be glad to discuss these things with you and go on a journey with you. God, we, we come to you this morning, and we thank you that because of basically Jesus, we're basically the church. We're basically his people, redeemed and reconciled to God and to each other. And I pray, Lord, give us the strength, power, and wisdom to believe you and to follow your word. We ask you now that you'd bless the remainder of our service. In Jesus' name, amen.